to get you up to speed, if this is your fir first Sunday, uh, I want to kind of give us a little bit of context of where we're going to be going this morning. And last week in particular, the title of the message was this, More Missionaries. More Missionaries. And in this series, we've been walking through... Uh, the book of Ephesians in the Bible. And rather than a book, really what Ephesians is, is a letter. It's a letter written to churches, and it's written by this guy named Paul. He was an apostle. He was one of the early church leaders. He was actually a Christian killer, and then God met him and really changed his heart and transformed him and said, rather than killing Christians, you're going to be one of the ones that helps multiply this thing, build the church, help multiply this uh, as just a small little group of people that were chasing after Jesus because literally he resurrected from the dead, and now using him as a, as a massive force to tell people about God's heart, to tell people about Jesus, to tell people about the good things that Jesus had done. So Paul's writing this letter to these churches uh, in Ephesus, right? And as he's writing this letter, he's literally on house arrest. He's, he's been chained up because of his beliefs in Jesus. In the same way that Jesus was persecuted for his influence, we see many of the early church leaders being persecuted for theirs. And really what the letter to the Ephesians becomes is really this amazing kind of like last stand of saying like, hey, even if I die, what's the legacy the church is going to leave behind? So for us in our day in 2019, it's so helpful for us to digest and understand, man, when when, when the early church had their backs up against the wall, what did they do? How did they act? How did Paul encourage the church to act as this massive, powerful witness in society known as the body of Christ, right? So Paul is writing this letter, and we really have been playing with this idea of what it looks like to be a good witness in society, and it really pertains to who we are and what we're called to do. And last week, I kind of, I kind of landed on our, our final thought and a final question as this, is do you see yourself as a missionary? Do you see yourself as a missionary? Because here's what I know, missionary, you know, pops up in our minds and our hearts, and we think of all sorts of different things. Typically, we think of things overseas. But here, as a part of our God-given calling, we have to own the fact that each and every one of us are called to be missionaries, where we live, where we work, where we learn, where we play. And when we actually live in such a way, it begins to represent Jesus in a way that goes beyond what we kind of shove into a box on Sunday mornings for a couple hours, right? But here's, here's what we've been saying this throughout the series is our commitment at our church is really, is really kind of this motto. We're, we're trying to live out and really encourage um, how we live out what it means to be the church. And it's, it's this simple phrase, if you can do it, we can help. Because when we reverse that phrase, as in we can do it, as in the institution of the church can do it, and you can help, it, it, it unfortunately creates this professional clergy kind of hierarchy, right? And last week we looked at Ephesians 4, and Ephesians 4 really shows us a ministry model that unleashes people into their God-given gifts and their own very ministries. Meaning that you, as a unique person that God's created, will only be able to serve the places that you can serve best. No one else can serve those places like you can. No one else can have a ministry like you can because you are a uniquely created person with a vision in your heart that God's given you to live as a missionary, to live that out. You see, when we say we can do it, you can help, it becomes this hierarchy that Ephesians chapter 4 last week showed us doesn't unleash missionaries in the same way that God intended. But the posture we're taking is saying you can do it, and as the church, and as the institution of the church as a body, man, we are here 
to help you live out your God-given calling, help you live to be an everyday missionary where you live, work, learn, and play. And we've been looking at this idea of calling, and it's really been this, this intersection of three areas that when these areas intersect, we're, we've, we define it as almost like a sweet spot, right? And really, who we are and who we were created to be kind of boils down in like three main areas uh, over the uh, kind of between the words be, do, and go. Be, let's first uh, re- kind of refresh ourselves with this one. It's, it's the question, who am I created to be? It has to do with our identity. As human beings, we're constantly asking this question, right? Do, what am I made to do? What's my mission? What am I supposed to be doing? First, we need to understand who we are, but then we also want to understand, like, wh- how do I contribute to the world? What's, what's my place? Why has God given me breath as a purpose, right? As a mission. And then lastly, go. Where do I fit in? And this, is re- this relates to our position. Where am I supposed to be? We always are looking and wanting to be in the right places, right? And then we, between the sweet spot intersection, we really boil down some language in the two ways that, that, that we've been called as human beings, as, as, as God's vision has really kind of shown us as we've walked through Ephesians, right? And the first is, is this, our primary calling, right? God's made this calling in this sweet spot really easy for us to identify. You know, before Jesus left the earth, he's like, hey, uh, this is what I'm, I'm calling you to do. And it, and it has to do with what we would call the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And, and, and the sweet spot interspect, intersection of be, do, go boils down to each and every one of us, our primary calling is this, is to be a disciple, to be, to be a person that follows after the person of Jesus, right? To be a disciple who makes disciples wherever we are. What's beautiful about this is God has not called us to live in isolation. In fact, God is community in his character, Father, Son, Spirit. The God of the Bible is community, and he's called us as we live in community to not only follow after him, but to multiply what it means to follow Jesus in other people wherever we are. Wherever there's people, there's opportunity to fulfill this primary calling where Jesus was like, this isn't about the institution, but this is about my rule and reign being spread out as missionaries are spread out into our life, into the way that we live, into where we work, where we're called. And then outside of this primary calling, we have this more entrepreneurial calling that we've built language around called our personal calling, that each and every one of us are, are called primarily as the people of God to be disciple makers wherever we are and to be disciples. But there's this interesting, in Ephesians chapter 2, we looked at this, is there's this personal calling for each and every one of us. And it's this declaration in this sweet spot that says, I am uniquely made to do good works and deeds wherever I can be most effective. And this isn't like turn to the Bible and point to a verse and I know what my unique calling is because it's unique for each and every one of us. And what's beautiful about that is that means that each and every one of us collectively put together will contribute in ways that we couldn't if it was just one person. If it was just one pastor, if the church just meant staff members, if the church just represented a hierarchy of a few people where we do our vision and you just help us. But rather, God has called us to be a mosaic of a masterpiece that looks like his church being released as missionaries into the world where we live, work, learn, and play to see what God can do through us. The church is called to be the fullness of Jesus into every nook and cranny in society. Like water fills and saturates an aquarium, Jesus is sending his church to saturate our city, region, and world. If the church truly is the fullness of Jesus expressed in the world, that means it cannot be based on a few people's vision at the top. 
but it represents a vision that God gives each and every one of us uniquely to be expressed and released as missionaries in the world that we live in. So this morning is really a piggyback on last week, and the title of this morning's message, as we've kind of identified where we've come from and where we're going, right, the title of this morning's message is this, more outside, more outside. What do we mean by that? Well, I want to ask this this morning. What is your highest possible impact look like? Man, what's the highest potential and possible impact for you as a human being? What would that look like? What would that look like for your life to be expressed in stride as we've kind of identified with these two sweet spots, our primary calling to be disciple makers wherever we are, and that unique calling that knowing that God's given us a specific ministry and a place for us to serve that expresses a piece of the fullness of Jesus as we're all called to be. But what would happen if you realized your highest possible impact? What would happen? What if you, you and I, collectively as a group, we realized it, we fully realized our potential impact of who we are as humans being, human beings created on this earth. And, and I just believe this this morning is there's so much writing on this. There's so much writing on the fact that what if we lived out in a way, what if we realized individually and collectively our highest potential impact as human beings breathing, living on this earth, being a force to be reckoned with in the world that we live in. And here's what, here's what I believe, no matter your church experience, some of us maybe have experienced the church for a few days. Some of us have experienced the church for several years, right? No matter our church experience, here, here's what I believe. Volunteers, programs, it's not going to be the thing that realizes the glory of God with universal human flourishing. Programs and volunteers are not going to be what God deems as this massive vision to express his fullness in our society in the way that we live and are expressed as a witness. Once again, Paul writing this letter saying, man, here we are as the church. What does this look like in the world that we live in and the way that it's expressed? But I believe that our shared ministry, our centralized programs are needed. Man, I love coming together on Sunday morning. I love the opportunities that we offer in terms of an institution as a church to help you take next steps in your faith, but these programs, let me just say this, are not our greatest hope. These programs are not the greatest hope. Volunteerism, programs, church programs, are not going to be enough to change and transform the world that we live in. But it represents one slice of what I would say is a bigger pie of God's massive vision for us. More programs will not saturate our city with the fullness of Jesus. Because here's what I believe. Only hundreds of unique masterpiece missions called into their unique mission fields will actually do that. More missionaries called outside to their places where they live, work, learn, and play will be the vehicle to help us express the fullness of what Jesus wants to see be accomplished because it's Jesus multiplied out in the posture and the vision that he has for his church. Here's, here's what I believe. A truth point this morning is 
the enemy of our souls is going to do anything possible to thwart us from God's plan. Can we agree on that this morning? There's an enemy of our souls that really does not want God's plan to be accomplished. He's doing everything and anything he can to make sure that the church doesn't rise up to be the church that Jesus had a vision for. Designed to be people in the world that shine and express God's love multiplied. God's vision proved itself in a dominant Roman Empire with a handful of people that somehow lived as the church in such a way to give us the billions of Christians that exist on the earth today. They defied the odds by God's power and presence multiplied, living as missionaries in their day and age, which multiplied out to express this massive thing that we call the church of Jesus in the world that we live in today. But the enemy would like nothing more than to keep us asleep. This morning, to keep us asleep to our potential and highest possible impact. There's nothing the enemy wants more in your life than to keep you asleep to your God-given potential and the force that you are to be reckoned with in the world simply because God is with you. His power and his presence is attached, anointing your life to be a force to be reckoned with wherever you go, wherever you are. The enemy would like nothing more than to keep us asleep and allowing our mosaics of mission to be activated. Because we, so, we find so much power there. Because, because we begin to be a force to be reckoned with in the real world where people find themselves. Where people will never don the doors of a church. Where people will never into it, enter into a church program. See, as missionaries, we become sent people to express the fullness of Jesus. And rather than expecting people to come to us, we bring the message of good hope to others. And the enemy would like nothing more than to keep us asleep. And I had us turn to Ephesians chapter 5 this morning because as Paul continues to develop this vision for the church, this vision of who we were created to be, what type of lasting impact can we give to this earth that we live on, how do we live out our calling, he begins to unpack this idea of what it would look like for us to live. We're going to look at Ephesians chapter 5, starting with verse 8 this morning, and it says this. Paul says, he writes, he says, For you were once in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. For the fruit of light consists of all, in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather, than, rather expose them. I love that. He's like, bring the light. In order to expose the light, we're going to have to bring this light, this power, this reconciliation power of Jesus. We're going to have to be people that expose, bring that light wherever we go. He says in verse 12, Paul's writing, he says, It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret, but everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. This is why it is said, wake up, sleeper. Rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful, then, how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, Making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will 
is. Can we pray this morning as we continue? Lord Jesus, I pray your church would rise and wake up from the sleep. Lord, would we be people that make the most out of every opportunity of our days? Lord, would we stop living asleep? Would we stop living under the someday theory of how someday I'll get around to actually living to the potential of God, what you've called me to be. But Lord, this morning, would we make powerful decisions to be committed to understanding that, Lord, we are not promised tomorrow and neither is anybody else. So Lord, we have an opportunity to expose the darkness and be people of light. So Lord, would you help show us our potential this morning? Lord, would you show us, would you maybe reorient areas of our life, reprioritize what our practical life would look like so we would live up to our God potential because there's nothing the enemy of our souls would love us to do more than to live below that, to treat every day like it's just every other day. But this morning, God, would you awaken your church? Would you awaken us to our God-given potential, not only collectively, but uniquely as God, unique, driven masterpieces? Lord, help us realize our potential or wherever we've shot below that in this place this morning. We're thankful for your grace. We're thankful that you see a potential so much greater in each and every one of us than we could ever humanly comprehend. And that's why we follow and chase after you with everything. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. This morning, you know, it's interesting. Paul's concern, he's writing this letter, and it seems like his main concern as he's writing in Ephesians chapter 5 is he's unpacked this vision for the church, what the church looks like. It becomes so relevant for us in 2019, but it's interesting that his main concern is that, that this idea that we will sleepwalk through our days. That we'll kind of just live, like, not even understand why we're living. We'll just live in such a way where we have a career where we don't even know why. We're going to school and we kind of have a trajectory of, yeah, we want to make a lot of money. We want to pursue the American dream. But we're literally living in such a way that becomes pointing back more towards ourselves than actually having an impact on anybody else. And see, Paul's biggest concern is that we will live below that potential. Because the moment collectively as the church we live below that potential, we become less and less of an impact in the world that we are called to serve, to go, and to impact. Paul's like, do not hit the snooze button on your mission field. Do not snooze your way through the fact that you and I uniquely have influence and opportunities with relationships in our lives everywhere we are. Do not hit the snooze button. And I don't know about you, but sleepwalking, this idea of sleepwalking, it becomes a very terrifying topic when you begin to, like, really dip into it, right? I don't know if you, any of you guys know any sleepwalkers. Um, I, here's what I know. I've never really experienced, like, the brunt of, like, a sleepwalker in my life, like, directly. Um, but I do know that, that, that people tell a lot of stories. Um, in fact, you know, um, I'll just say this. I don't know if I've ever been able to get a full, you know, complete night's rest since I've been married to my wife, Callie, because she's told me of stories growing up of her sleepwalking. For instance, um, uh, she, one time she woke up in a car, um, and she didn't know how she got there, right? It's like this idea of, like, how did this happen, right? And, and there comes a moment in your marriage you're like, who am I sleeping next to, right? It's like, keep one eye open. I'm the type of person that um, I'm a sleep talker. Anybody in the room? Like, you just talk, like, your spouse or somebody, you know, it's like, like man, you, like, said some weird stuff in your sleep, right? So many weird things happen when we are asleep. And when I think of sleepwalking, like, I think of the idea, like, for me it becomes kind of comical. But it's interesting because in the context of what Paul's trying to communicate to us, like, wake up. 
Because we're so susceptible to be people that just kind of sleep, walk through our lives. We need to be awoken to the purposes and the plans and the vision that God has for our lives. Because when you meet Jesus, you begin to be connected to a vision that goes so much more beyond your human comprehension of what could actually be accomplished. And we begin to wake up to our very potential and we begin to have the opportunity to carry a vision to live our days in such a way that no one else lives. Because we have God vision over our lives. Sleepwalking may be our biggest challenge, but we always, we, we, we extend a lot of grace to the state of sleepwalking, because we're like, well, this is a state of action that we have no control over, but spiritually, what Paul is communicating, he's saying, no, we need to be awoken, because Jesus gives us the opportunity to be people that don't just sleepwalk through this life. Be awoken to your God-given potential. What does it look like to sleepwalk our way through what God has called us to do as his church, as his people? Because here's what I realize. God has already mobilized us. We do not need a program. We do not need a church program as an excuse to be mobilized because he's already done it. When he left, he already sent his church. He commissioned his church. We have been mobilized. We don't need a church program to replace or convince us out of this mobilization calling that God has called each and every one of us to. But many times we can create church obstacles and stumbling blocks for us to actually accomplish the God-given potential each and every one of us have been called to do and to live out. The fullness of Jesus will go everywhere, but only if we wake up every person to their unique mission. Only when we wake ourselves up collectively and uniquely and individually to our God-given potential in the world that we live in. Our God is a missionary God, and he makes us a missionary people called to be on the outside, called to be outward. Here's what I believe is that the mission of God isn't just about crossing oceans. For some of us in the room, we, we think of this idea of a missionary and, and a mission field for our lives, and we think about, well, I'm not called to go overseas. I'm not called to be a person that's cross-cultural in other countries. But it's not about just crossing oceans. That's a calling for specific people, right, that have identified that unique calling for their lives. But what we're talking about is not just crossing oceans, but crossing fences. Crossing the neighborhood. Crossing the street. Crossing the room. Crossing the boundaries that exist between us and other people and what it would look like for us to be missionary people living out our God-given calling wherever people are at. Wherever there's potential for a relationship to grow. Wherever there's potential for someone disconnected from the love and grace of Jesus to experience the love and grace and the posture we take to serve, to invest, to look at his human being in the eyes that God sees as someone created in his image with dignity, worthy of receiving the grace that he's poured out for each and every one of us. We can be missionaries without ever leaving our zip code. Isn't that powerful? 
isn't it powerful and releasing? It's a tad bit intimidating to understand we have the opportunity to be missionaries wherever we are. Wherever we are, there is a mission field. Here's what I believe. God's vision for the church goes beyond the one or two hours that we spend on Sundays being filled up, being encouraged, connecting with God and other people. There's 167 other hours in the week that God's saying, I want to use them. I want to let my power, I want to let my church be sent. 167 hours of potential, of the God-given potential on our lives to change the world. But many times we can box it so easily into a slice, a tiny sliver slice in the scope of our week or maybe our month or maybe our checklist of what it looks like to be a good person. But Jesus has not called us to be people that check off a list that make us feel good about ourselves, but he's allowed us to receive a grace that calls us to a place of potential that our human minds could never take us on our own, calls us to live out a grace and to be sent people to, on behalf of the God of the universe who loves each and every one of us so much. The other 167 hours in our week give us massive opportunity. It's a wake-up moment. To our God-given potential. Can I say, recently I had a wake-up moment, pastorally, that I just want to share with you for a second. It was a, it was a wake-up moment because it was one of those areas that I felt like, yeah, we've just been sleepwalking. Or me personally, I've just been sleepwalking. I had a privilege of being in a room with, with many other pastors and, and church planners several weeks ago in a leadership cohort that I'm a part of. And a pastor got up there to kind of encourage us. And he started sharing a psych study that I, f I found to be so fascinating. They'd recently done a psychological study that 90% of what get pr gets preached on a Sunday is forgotten within 24 hours. Meaning this, what gets preached here this morning, 90% of that you're going to forget within the next 24 hours. Whoa. But it's so interesting because I'll just say this, in the rhythms of many pastors, and this was a pastor encouraging other pastors, we spend so much time preparing for this. Some people spend 12 to 15 hours on their message preparation every single week. When, when studies have shown us that 90% of that information that's prepared for will not even be retained in a person to change their life. 90%. And then he went on to say this. It's interesting when we look at the dollar value as a sermon prep for a pastor's salary. Let's break that down in how much a pastor gets paid. And let's put an hourly wage on a person sitting in an office preparing only to execute something that 90% will not even be retained to push people towards the mission of God. And here's how the pastor challenged us. He said, begin to tithe. In the same way we give up our resources financially, he said, begin to tithe that time a little bit. Take away some of your sermon prep time, knowing that you don't need to be perfect, and start using and investing that time face-to-face -face with other people. Because that's where a powerful difference gets made. And I said to myself, you know what? I'm going to do that. I'm gonna hide. I cut my sermon prep time in half, saying, you know what? I want to prepare. I want to invest in this. But at the same time, if I put a dollar value on this, it's, it's frightening. It's frightening in terms of the isolation. It's frightening in terms of the God-given potential 
of where we've practically placed our resources, our time, and our talent, and our treasure to make deep investments in other people. I woke up to a reality. Here's what I believe. Centralized programs are needed. We need Sundays. We need to be encouraged. But once again, the programs are not the greatest hope for the church. These programs are not the greatest hope. These programs create community within one another to be encouraged, to be organized, to understand collectively and surround ourselves upon upon our plan of attack. But it is not the attack itself because we are called to be missionaries and outside people. I woke up to a reality that said, I've been sleepwalking my way through the rhythms of how I've done sermon prep, understanding that, hey, I'm going to always bring my best, but what would happen if I gave up some of that time and began to invest in places that have been on my checklist, but God is saying, no, those are important. Begin to replace and redeem those areas for how you can pursue and fulfill your unique God-given calling more and more and more, because this is what happens. The things that matter most begin to be eaten up in our checklist for the things we feel like we have to do. Here's our commitment at PCC, this phrase once again. You can do it. We can help. That's our commitment to you, believing that you can fulfill your God-given calling, and we are here to help and take a posture of wanting to help you find, fulfill, and to live that out. Because when we say we can do it and you can help, what we, we have the danger of doing is ag- aggressively activating people into church programs, which once again aren't the enemy, but they're one slice of a larger vision that God has. By us saying, you can do it, we can help, the idea is we can aggressively activate you and all people into your God-given mission field, into the outside of the church walls, into real life, into the places where actual living, breathing human beings are living are finding hopelessness and discouragement in their everyday life, which you and I as broken human beings are still facing to this day as well, where we need encouragement and other human beings to remind us, to encourage us to our God-given potential. And, and here's what I just want to say and, and, and communicate this is, as the pastor of this church, you don't need my permission to be a missionary. You, you don't need my permission for you to live out your God-given potential. But I, I just want to make this crystal clear in case m- people maybe aren't hearing me this morning. You have my permission to go make a mess for God's kingdom in our city. Go make a mess. Go, go make a mess. Go too far. Take risks. Because there's a potential for us to not go far enough. There's a potential for us to sleep in the places of comfort. And I would say this, if we're going to take any posture, go make a mess. And, and mistakes, and, and sometimes what we categorize as failures, become great learning points for us to be catapulted deeper into who God's created and called us to be. Go make a mess. Wreck shop with the love and the grace of God in the heart and the potential He not only wants you to see realized, but he wants to see realized for living, breathing human beings walking on this earth. And not only walking on this earth, but walking in our very midst where we live, work, learn, and play. Where there are people, there is potential in God's eyes and his vision. You know, I mentioned that I've been in this kind of cohort with other pastors. Um, Specifically, it's a young leaders cohort. 
um, young pastors uh, uh, transitioning churches, which is kind of the season that we've been in, or, or planting churches, and have been able to really build a lot of great relationships with a diversity of people all over uh, our country that are just doing amazing, risk-taking things for, for, for God. And it's been so inspiring, it's been so encouraging, empowering to, to get to just hang out with a lot of these leaders. It was really interesting because um, every time, we've, we've met three times in the past probably nine months at different locations, and um, the first time that we got together, I just I want to be a transparent. This is so interesting uh, to me, just the kind of the psyche of this and getting to just kind of watch uh, how people, how humans behave and how, how they live. And specifically for me, pastors, right, uh, fellow other pastors in, in terms of people's, other people's perspective, how they, how they see, how they minister out of their gifting and, and, and who God's called them to be. And, and the first, first time we got together, we, we met at this church who was just doing, doing disciple making really, really well was living out what it looked like to equip people to be disciple makers, to live up to that primary calling of what God's called each and every one of us to live like, right? And it was so unifying because it was like, hey, guys, let's, like, read the scripture and, and, and like, let's find the things that Jesus did with other people and, like, let's get on the same page with that. And everybody's like, yeah! I mean, this is, like, different denominations. This is, like, different perspectives. This is, like, the people that have, like, doctrinal heated dos- disagreements about how they interpret the scripture like we're we're talking about like literally this idea of like what it looks like to live out your faith and 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 the massive disagreements and and we started talking about this uh, the the way that Jesus lived and everybody was so unified it was powerful I walked away so encouraged I mean man you didn't even know there was doctrinal lines you didn't even know there was disagreement man we're becoming the witness to the world man that the world's been waiting for and, like, making the main things the plain things, unifying together around a common mission and going for it. It was amazing. And then we met next time. And the topic on this one was a topic that we framed as, as the word of mobilization. How we send people. How we equip other people. What does it look like for a pastor to release the control of his congregation And the accountability of needing to know everything that every person does and knows and making sure that there can be this, uh, making sure we know everyone in our church, what they're doing, what they're trying to do, what they're expressing, and making sure it goes up the hierarchy of chains. And I'll say this, the first meeting we were unified, the second meeting all these pastors, they lost their minds. Because people around the room including myself, was being challenged in a way of the God-given potential of what it looks like to release other people into their God-given mission, whether it benefits the pastor or not. Here's, Here's what I know. When I say go make a mess, a question that I'm not concerned with is how will this benefit Ponca City Church? How's this going to benefit us? How's this going to raise our attendance? How's this going to bring more of an income? How's this going to help revitalize our building space where we meet? Those are not questions I'm concerned about. I'm not concerned about how this will benefit us. I'm not concerned about the control that there's a tendency to have as a person in leadership of how this is going to directly come back and benefit me, my organization, my vision, my calling, the place of leadership and influence I've been given. See, that's a question I'm not concerned with. Your mission field might never affect 
the attendance and finances of our church. And that's okay. Because it might never cross back over with the benefit of this institution. But I'll tell you what it does cross back over and it begins to benefit. This massive power and presence. In fact, the manifest power and presence on the earth. The first thing that Jesus ever preached about called the kingdom of God. We're kingdom people. We're kingdom people that say when we release others, when we believe in others, when other God-given people get their God-given influence and go service space and culture, it doesn't matter if it comes back to benefit this institution, this local expression. But what does matter is that the kingdom of God is being expressed and populated in a way simply because we've released the church to be the church in a way that we could never manipulate as a local expression. A win for us is a kingdom win. A win for us is a win that unifies every church in Ponca City to express the God-given vision to chase after those who are distant, disconnected from a God who loves them. To release those who are bound up in religiosity. To release those who have a framework of church that literally just becomes a separate part of your life. But what God, I believe God's building here in this season is a church aligned with the vision of God of what would it look like for us to be released into our unique mission fields as the people of God in Ponca City and beyond. I say beyond because I know that there's God-given potential in this room of people who aren't going to stay geographically where they're at. Because then when they, rela- they realize their God-given potential, they're going to realize their unique position maybe isn't within the scope of Ponca City itself. And, and that's a risky thing to say but that's the truth of the diversity of what God's stirring up in our congregation and the vision that God has for each and every one of us, not only collectively, but uniquely and individually. God wants you to be right where you're supposed to be. Here's a question I want to leave us with this morning. Will you embrace your unique mission field outside of the four walls of the church building? Are you going to Embrace the tendency to stay geographical. Because that's, that's what's at stake. What's at stake is, is for us to be people that live within the comforts. But God's vision calls us. In fact, God's vision sends us to be people that go where we are, where we live, work, learn, and play. And I'll say this in terms of our posture. I was listening to a podcast recently, and this struck me. I want to quote from Ed Stetzer up on the screen. Ed was saying this, and if you don't know who Ed is, Ed is somebody who does a lot of research around kind of the statistics of the church kind of globally and nationally. He was saying this, I thought this was so interesting. He said, you can't war at people and reach people at the same time. You can't war at people and reach a people at the same time. You sort of have to make a decision. doesn't mean you can't stand up for what's right and culture and more. But that's the challenge. You ultimately can't go to war and be on mission at the same time. See, when you have home field advantage, when you have home court advantage in a culture and a demographic of people, you have the privilege of, of waging war because you're majority. And I'm here to tell us that Christians no longer, longer have the majority in America, in our country, in our lines. 
which forces us into a posture that doesn't say we can wage war and be the majority. It forces us to be in a posture where each and every one of us understand we are missionaries in our own context. See, because we have a decision to make. I truly believe this as the church. We could say we're going to keep waging war against our culture. We're going to keep advocating for our, ch- our, our nation to be a Christian nation. And here's what I'll say. The last time somebody enforced a nation to be a Christian nation was around the region of Europe, and that did not go so well. Because when it comes to one swing of the forcing of religion, back comes the other swing as a very, very secularized nation, simply because they tried to force rhythms of Jesus' grace down people's throat in a way that didn't express Jesus whatsoever. So we have a posture that we can take currently in our day and age of saying, we're going to wage war with culture. We're going to wage war in the battle. That's one way we could go. But there's another posture we could admit of saying, we are no longer the majority, which forces us to take a posture of being missionaries. Which decision will we make? What decision will we take? As the church, will we wave the banner of institution and power and saying, come be like us? Or will we be people that take the other 167 hours of our day, express the unique vision and the unique mission field that God has called each and every one of us to be and express it in a way that the world is so desperate for? Because these are people that will never don the doors of a church or a program, or become a volunteer? That question, will you embrace your unique mission field outside the four walls of the church building? My prayer is that you will. My prayer is that you will own that. My prayer is that you will take bite-sized steps towards that and what that looks like for you wherever you live work learn and play amen let's pray this morning